Yeah, you might be able to hear our baby in the background. Good morning, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. So Paul begins chapter 3 by saying that he shouldn't need any letter of recommendation to the church in Corinthians because they know him and that the very fact that the church is thriving should be proof that Paul was a legit teacher and he taught them well. And he starts chapter 3 by comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. He compares the law of Moses with the new way of Christ. So if you read verses uh, 7 to 16, and pause, there's lots to unpack there. So what did you think? Do you understand what he's talking about? So the ministry that brings death is living under the law. So the law points out your sin, but the law doesn't save you from your sin. Um, he does say, though, that because the law came from God, so it is glory from God that came after the Exodus. But even though the law is glorious because it came from God, it doesn't bring you life. It can't actually fix your sins. And then he contrasts that with Jesus. So how much better then is the spirit of God that has come from Jesus in your life? The law, though it is holy, brought condemnation by pointing out your sins. So how much more glorious is Jesus who brings righteousness from his spirit? And Paul says the law is temporary but glorious, but it's nothing compared to Christ who is glorious and eternal. And it's for this reason Paul says that he can be bold no matter what happens in his life. Because he knows that the spirit of Christ, this new way, is eternal and glorious. Whereas the old way, it may have been glory from God, but it wasn't eternal. It would still lead to death. And when Paul says that even to this day, when Moses is read in the synagogue, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Um, he's talking about the fact that so many people would have been still under the law. Their hearts are covered. They haven't quite seen the truth. So in the Old Testament, when Moses' face radiates the glory of God, Israel had to put a veil over her face. That's Exodus 34, verse 35. And the Old Covenant was blinding for Israel to see. And Paul is saying that now people will still have veils over their hearts and they are not fully understanding, they don't fully see the heart of God. But when they turn to the Lord in Jesus, the veil is torn away. And obviously he's using the veil in, in a metaphorical sense. And, and then he says, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we like that verse, it's a very famous verse that we kind of read out of context, but remember, where the spirit of the Lord is, is, there is freedom. Contrast to where the law of the law is, there is still not freedom. And this freedom is from this, this metaphorical veil that covers the, the heart. And freedom from the law that, though it's from God's glory, it can't save your sins. It condemns you of your sins and leads to death. If you are effectively living your life entirely just to serve the law. And he ends chapter 3 by declaring that all who are unveiled and who contemplate the Lord's glory are continuously being transformed into his image. And note, Paul distinguishes those who are still with the veil on the head, so that would probably be uh, the Jewish people and those of other faiths who have not known Jesus or who have rejected him, 
and those who may have heard of Jesus but do not contemplate the Lord's glory. And then there are those who do contemplate the Lord's glory. So there's a couple of different camps here. And the reason I bring this up is that we can hear about Jesus. So this second group, those who hear about Jesus but don't really contemplate the Lord's glory, i.e. we hear about Jesus, yeah, but we don't really think about it. So like, and even in church, we can hear about Jesus. You can sing some songs about Jesus. You can even go to church and kind of read your Bible. And we really should be doing a lot of this. But if we just kind of do those things only because it's not like a regimented religious thing and we don't go further and really reflect on them and meditate and seek God and this idea of contemplating the Lord's glory when we don't seek Jesus and the Holy Spirit with these free and unveiled faces we won't be transformed into his image because it's not just about going to church and singing songs and it's not even just about reading the Bible it's about doing all of those things and then in our heart of hearts, seeking him and meditating on him and waiting on him to be transformed and really getting deep into what these the songs and the words mean. Because if we're just seeing this on a shallow surface level, you won't be continuously transformed into his image. Um, and that's not to accuse anyone, it's just to say... Don't let yourselves as Christians stay at the single surface level of, I know who kind of who Jesus is. I sing some songs, I go to church, I read my Bible a bit, and that's enough. Don't stay there. I mean, I urge you like Paul, get deep into this. So where do you fit today? Do you know Jesus? Do you, or do you know of Jesus, but you're not really seeking him? Or do you not know Jesus at all? Is this all completely confusing to you? And again, I'm not wanting to judge anyone. It's just a challenge about where you currently are. Be challenged that when we become Christians, we shouldn't stay in the same place. We should be seeking the Lord. Paul would say he's contemplating his glory in order to be further transformed by his spirit. And then if we continue reading, chapter 4 jumps straight on from that. So take a minute, pause this and read verses 1 to 5. So what stands out most to you about Paul's style of teaching? So Paul says that the gospel is taught clearly and plainly. And if their gospel is still veiled, like we used in the previous chapter, like hidden, it is because those who are listening have been blinded by the God of this age. And I just want to take a minute on that verse, because that is a very odd thing to say. It's not really found anywhere else. There's a lot of interpretations on what he means by the God of this age. I think a lot of us would immediately look at that and go, well, he's definitely talking about Satan with his red skin and devil horns. And he might be. Or we might understand him to mean uh, other gods of this age, such as Greek gods. We could even understand this to mean someone like Caesar who was deified as a son of God and who ruled a massive portion of the Greco-Roman world, the most powerful man in the world at the time. Or we could even understand this as simply a way of understanding culture, the culture of selfish greed or money and sin that turns people away and veils their heart, hides their heart so we don't, we're not able to see him. Um, 
Because this phrase, just before we go, he's definitely this, the God of this age is not found anywhere else in the Bible at all. It has parallels, but this is the only time that phrase is used. So it's not 100% clear who or what he means, but he definitely means someone who is worshipped that is not Christ or something that is worshipped that is not Christ. And remember, it's the mind is that is what is blinded. And Paul is saying, you know, be careful not to let your mind be blinded. And we have to work really hard to make sure our minds are open to Christ, both in our prayers, but also in reading scripture. And that's why when Paul in the previous chapter is talking about contemplate God, he's saying, hey, don't just listen to what I'm saying. Take what I'm saying. Think about it. Read the, you know, the Old Testament. That's would be Old Testament. And for us, if you read the New Testament, but don't just read it and go, that's nice. Think about it. Challenge it. Be tested by it. Ask people about it. Don't just take one angle on it and go, well, that's fine then. Contemplate it. Seek God in all of it. Read scripture and seek the truth of it. And then in our life and in our habits and in our thinking, in our mind, fill them with God as well so that we can know the gospel and then in our hearts understand it and then respond to it. So my challenge for us is, do you fill your mind with Jesus? Do you fill your mind with his words, with the words of the New Testament and with the words of the Old Testament? And when you read this, do you, do you really learn it and then do you think about it and meditate on it? Or do you read it and then go, okay, and let someone else kind of tell you what it means? And there's nothing wrong with letting someone else tell you what it means if they are more like learned than you that's totally fine and Paul in verse 11 of chapter 4 says we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus's sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body and and that's a hard thing to understand like he's saying look Christians who are free in Christ whose minds have been set free we're being given over to death all the time for Jesus' sake. But that's okay because the life of Jesus is then revealed in the Christian and then the Christian dies for that truth. And that's tough. And Paul's mind is filled with good news. And it's backed up with his experience in meeting Christ and experiencing the Spirit. And it's in that and it's for that reason that he can actually go into these horrible and terrible places, knowing that God who raised Jesus will be faithful to the Christians who are following him also and will raise them one day as well. And in verse 7, 16, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And in verse 17, he says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The new church is going through a lot of danger. And Paul knows that if they don't fill their minds with Jesus, fully filling their minds with the good news and contemplating it and reflecting on it and soaking in it and being challenged by it and changed by it, at the first sign of danger, it won't happen. They'll just go, nope, I can't be doing with any of this. I don't want this. It's not for me. It's quite tough. And the good news of Jesus was never meant to be good news like 
nothing bad's ever going to happen to you and Jesus is going to come into your life and he's going to make everything absolutely fine and you're going to be fixed and well and healthy and rich forever. That's, that's not what the good news is. The good news will very often be attacked by the world because the world, as Paul would say, have their minds veiled because there are other gods in the world that they worship instead. So, challenge for you guys, what can we take from these two chapters? And do we fill our minds on God and what is eternal, what what Paul calls the unseen eternal? So that when life's hard, do we set our minds in Jesus and get encouraged by him? Or do we panic and run away? Because for the Christian, as Paul would say, soak your mind in Jesus, fill your life with him, contemplate him, grow in him. Because sometimes we who are alive might have to be given over to death for Jesus' sake. So be challenged, be encouraged, and let me know what you thought.